0: Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, my co-host Bridget and I got to sit down with Big Tony Fisher from the seminal DC go-go band Trouble Funk. He talked about growing up in DC, getting his start in the heyday of go-go, and what life was like for a musician back when Gogo was treated with suspicion instead of being celebrated as DC's official music. Today is Thursday, May 25th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Brigid, I am so excited because today a bomb is going to drop on Citycast, or I should say the bomb is going to drop on Citycast. We have Big Tony here from Trouble Funk. So glad you you're wanna here. You want to drop the bomb uh, on the Citycast crew.
1: Yes, I love getting started with a with a nice Trouble Funk reference. <laughs>
2: How y'all doing? We're doing all right.
1: Oh, we're so excited to have you here, Big Tony.
2: Man, it's a great pleasure
1: to be here. So, tell us about
0: you. Your go-go band is one of the best. I think you would probably say the best uh, go-go band there is. Uh, I've seen you guys since I was a kid. I saw I watched you at the old 9:30 old Club the night before I went oh, away to wow. college. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but I wanted I don't know anything about your background. Tell where'd you grow up? How'd you get into playing music?
2: Man, <laughs> we're going to go that far back. Um, I picked up my first guitar around the age of eleven years old, Wow, and um, I was playing professional by the time I turned fifteen. as a matter of fact, I was playing in places I shouldn't have been <laughs> i was playing <laughs> I was playing in nightclubs <laughs> uh at the age of fifteen. There was a club over here on Georgia Avenue called the part Three uh, back in like nineteen seventy five mhm And I used to play with this guy named Johnny Barnes, you know. I was always big for my age, so it was like, they used to call me big youngin'. You know, the big youngin', we gonna take a break, don't go over there by the bar. (laughs) (laughs) What
1: what was that like being just a teenager in these places where you really shouldn't have been making music Mm -hmm. for presumably a bunch of adults? It It was a great experience. I mean, it was good money back then. (laughs)
2: I mean, even back then, I was like, that was a lot of money. I was making $75 a night, you know. So 1975, that was good money for me, you know, for a kid that grew up in the projects of Southeast. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) I was happy, you know. Who first uh, turned you
0: on to playing instruments?
2: It's weird you ask that because I'm self-taught. The way I got into this is like really, really crazy. I'm working on a book, as a matter of fact. I've been working on it for quite a while. And it's called Big Tony in the World of Trouble. And it talks about my musical background from when I was 11 years old all the way up until you know recent. And um, I actually got my first guitar. I kind of like found it, you know, uh-huh. kind of, sort of.
1: And
0: He's using air quotes,
2: everybody. You can, I, can hear, I, I can hear
1: the air quotes in when you say "found it."
2: Yeah. <laughs> so the truth is, is, like someone had got evicted, and I've seen—I didn't know what he was calling the eviction back then. I just seen a whole lot of stuff out there on the side of the street and uh, the sidewalk, and people was going through it, picking it. So I seen the guitar. I got the guitar and decided to head on back down to the house. 'Cause this is like someone like going towards Meridian Hill Park. It was a high rise building. Um, long story short, the guy that got evicted was on his way up the Hill. <laughs> he said, Hey, where you going with my guess? <laughs> I found it. He was pissed. He was bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I and I, I guess, you know, he had a good a good reason to be mad, but uh, he was like, I can have you locked down. And I was a kid. I didn't know better. So then I, I'm scared now. I'm trying to help him get back down the hill and go home. And he <laughs> called me back. He said, come here. <laughs> and I went back and he gave me the guitar. He said, "Here. Yeah, the next time I see you, you've been you learning how to play this guitar, I'm taking it back. That is amazing. And I went home. And... I just started listening to everything that was musical. I turned on the TV, see if I could find music, and I'll just try to imitate everything that I hear. One day, I was watching TV, and I seen Johnny Cash doing some type of country show. It was a performance, and he was sitting on the stool playing the guitar, and he was playing I Walk the Line, and they had a camera on his hand, and that's how I learned how to don' 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 nigga don, don't don, that's the first thing I learned how to play don 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 I learned how to play that. that was the first thing I learned how to play on my guitar.
1: Why did that stick with you what what was it about that that song
2: I, I, I think it was something about the the way they put the camera on his hands. It's like you know it just came natural for me. It was like picking up that guitar was kind of like it was like um a connection and i was doing things on the guitar back then that i didn't know what it was but it was like if i heard it i could play it
0: it's time to get dressed up dc So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in D.C. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sums Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sumorg slash springsoiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash springsoiree. See you there. So what was going on in, like, D.C. in music in those days? Like, the people you were hanging out with, what were people listening to? What were you listening to and being influenced by? Well, I was hanging out with nobody when I was 11 years old. But,
2: (laughs) but you know, yeah, because technically it's like I I grew up in Northwest, you know, from like an infant on up to about 11. And from 11 on, we moved to Southeast. My mom's moved to uh, a project. You know, we got some kind of housing voucher or something like that. You know, my mom, she was handicapped as a teenager. She was in a car accident that uh, she had to have her leg amputated. And um, she raised all six of us. My my dad wasn't in my life, you know, in our life at the time. So and we we had a very strong mom. She was a very strong black woman. And um, she worked for as long as she could. And that was one of the reasons why I started getting out trying to make money so early because I was the oldest and I wanted to help her. So I just felt like I had at, at that point, I had to be the man of the house. But getting back to the music thing, you know, which she played a big part, by the way, because she always, she saw a lot in me that I didn't see in myself. And she always told me that you're going to be special. You know, she's. like, I love all my kids, but you're going to be the special one. You're going to be a star. You know, and she instilled she that that thought in me. And it's like, I always dreamed real big. I used to tell my friends, like, friends that I went to school with, we'd be out there, you know, when you're young, you see cars, come out night, cars, say, yeah, that's going to be my car one day, and blah, <laughs> blah, blah. And we would talk about things like, what we're going to do when we get older. And, like, I would tell them things like, one day I'm going to play at the Capitol Center, and this and they were like, laugh at me, you know. <laughs> they, would, they would be laughing, crack it up, you know. Wait, did so, you ever play at the Capitol Center? I not only played at the Capitol Center several times, we headlined the Capitol Center. Nice. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So.
0: And just for the record, eventually they dropped the bomb on the Capitol Center. <laughs> they turned it yes, down. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I had to do that.
0: Oh, yes, I'm glad yes, you so. did. <laughs>
1: What would little Tony say to see big Tony hit all these milestones that you used to, to dream about as a kid? Like, what do you think you would say to your younger self if the, if your younger self could see you now?
2: Well, <laughs> uh, we did it. All the things that I dreamt about, I actually accomplished it. And I did so much more than I actually dreamed. I, I, never, I never actually dreamed of traveling the world. You know? Um, I never dreamed about... I couldn't even comprehend what it was to travel the world back then. You know, and I've actually traveled the world. I, I mean, we perform everywhere. Japan, Germany, Amsterdam, wow. Italy, Sweden, Spain, I mean, uh, France, we went to it all over the world. You know, and and to do this... And don't have to pay to do it. No, actually, <laughs> to do this and get paid to do it—that's like, come on, now. I mean, you know, yeah. I have three gold records and two platinums. We're the most sampled group. Who would have thought? The most sampled group in hip hop history.
0: Well, I was going to say, what are some of your the, the favorite uh, hip hop songs that have sampled uh, your songs? Uh,
2: some of my favorite hip hop songs. Um, I, I got to go. Number one on my list is Public Enemy, Fight the Power.
0: So they sampled you on that one.
2: Yes, yes. Um, I, I think that's like one of the funkiest tunes of all time. Man. And then uh, Will Smith, um, the Will Minium album,
1: mm.
2: you know, he cut up there the to pump me up. So many people have sampled. Everybody and their mama didn't sample Pump Me Up. Right? <laughs> that song has been, you know, artists like George Michael sampled us. Oh my God, Teddy Riley, the Beastie Boys, NWA, Snoop Dogg, uh, Dr. Dre. uh, Man, I say we've been sampled over 200 and almost 300 some times by major artists. Can you take us back to the. So you're
0: this kid who's got a found guitar and watched Johnny Cash play on TV. And this is like right at the beginning of GoGo. You know, Chuck Brown is a thing, but a lot of the other bands haven't formed. Tell me how you got into Go-Go, how the, how the band started, how you how the sound started.
2: Okay, 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 okay. It's a good one. I'm glad you asked that. I used to go see this group called Trouble Band and Show around 76, 77, down Anacostia Park. Trouble Band and Show was a top 40 R&B cabaret band, and... um there was, a, there was a bass player by the name of Gerald. I forgot his last name. He lived in Burge Farm, which was like not far from where I lived. And um, I taught Gerald how to play bass guitar. Gerald wound up getting a gig with Trouble Band and Show. Fast forward, Gerald he he did something that pissed Rio off. Rio was the founding manager of Trouble Band and Show. He came by my house one day and asked me, "Did I want a gig playing with Trouble Band and Show?" We did a we did a show at this place called the Club the Burns at the um in Palmer Park, Maryland. And uh the show was like from eight from eight till eleven thirty or eleven o'clock, something like that, the cabaret. And after the cabaret, I noticed when I left out the building, there was a line going all the way up the side of the building. And I was like, What is all these people doing out here? It's like the show is over. So I went back in and I talked to the owner of the club. He said, we're getting ready for the go-go. Chuck Brown, the Soul Churches is going to be playing from 12 to 6 in the morning. Wow. I was like, exactly. Wow. <laughs> 12 to 6 in the morning. I said, man, do you mind right if I stay around and check it out? And he said, no, nah, not at all. And uh, That was my first go-go experience. Now, keep in mind, now, this is back in 77. 77. I was 17 years old. I'm 62 now. You do the math. <laughs> that was my first go-go experience. And keep in mind, back then, there was no such thing as go-go music. Go-go was just, a, it was just, just the atmosphere. Mm. Hey, man, where you going tonight? I'm going to the go-go to see Chuck Brown, the Soul Circuit. That's where go-go was originated by Smokey Robinson. We took that terminology and gave it a totally different, you know, meaning. Yep, yep. Um, So first came the atmosphere, then came the beat, which was created by Chuck Brown. Chuck Brown came up with this beat that he could play in between top 40s. Because, and this, this is a conversation between Chuck and I because we became very good friends later on at the years passed, You know, we, we started off as rivalries. I, I'll get more into that in a minute, yeah. You know? <laughs> but But uh, Chuck Brown came up with that beat. And the reason why he came up with that beat was because, like, if you get the people on the floor, Chuck, Chuck had this thing about knowing how to control the people, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, as far as when he wants them to dance and when he don't want them to dance. And which was very smart. So he created this beat to play in between the top 40 songs because he said every time they you stop, it takes a while to get them back mm. on the floor again. That's brilliant. Yeah, it was very brilliant. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. And the reason why he called it the go-go beat, he said because it never stops. It just keeps going and go, going go, and go, go, going. go, go, yeah, yeah. go, <laughs> go. <laughs> you know, so then what happened was we wind up opening up for Chuck, and for about a good three months, people wouldn't dance. They just looked at us like we were from some foreign country. They was like, and we was playing really good top 40s. We was playing a lot of the stuff that Chuck Brown was playing, but the difference was we wasn't playing that beat in between. So one day at rehearsal, like, well, well, I, I'm actually leaving something out, you know. After everybody would go in the dressing room and we, they would point the finger as to why the people wouldn't dance and blaming it on each other. They would leave. I would stay there and I would sit on the side of the stage and I would try to figure out what is it that they're doing that we're not doing to make these people react the way they do. And and one day I I got it. light bulb went off. It's like, it got a lot to do with, how intimate Chuck was with those people. It was like, it was like he knew everybody in there. Mm-hmm. And he would talk to them like like the conversation we're having now. Yeah, was like, and he would call people names. And back then, if he called your name, that means you was popular, you was somebody. <laughs> so I got to know some of the people. They didn't know me, but I got to know them. And I told Rio, I said, Rio, I think I know what it takes to make these people dance, but I'm going to need a microphone. So Rio's like, what the hell? We tried everything else. Let's try your way. See what happens. And when Rio put that mic in my hand, the rest was history. And we came up with our first our first original groove. It was called Roll With It. That role became very popular with all the bands. Right now to this day, the bands still play that role. That digga 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 you
0: so much. that's so cool yeah. wait so yeah. let's flash forward a couple of years and it's the 80s and gogo is a big deal and it's at least in dc everywhere you can hear it on the street corners with bucket drums and so on mm-hmm. um you guys are playing all over the place there was a time when you know like the the government and the you know the, the respectable people and so on were saying well you know yeah. this is uh vile and dangerous and so on and, and kind of let's crack down on it what
2: was that like well, it, it, it was it was a crazy scene, man. The media was really, you know, as Donald Trump would say, "fake news." You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it really was fake news. The, the media was like really, really hard. The media was blaming Gogo for everything that happened, and it really had nothing to do with Gogo. It's like these things was going to happen regardless. You right. know, as, as a matter of fact, I think Gogo took such a bad rap back back then we should have gotten more credit for getting these kids off the street and giving them something to do and a place to go and just have fun. Right. I mean, from what what you say about
0: your early life, it sounds like you didn't have any time to mess around because you were so busy learning instruments.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, again, I I was just fortunate to find out at an early age in life that God gave me a special gift, you know, so that, that kind of kept me off the streets. Unfortunate for some And I have two little brothers I lost to the streets, you know? And I have so many friends that I've lost to the streets growing up. I'm just so grateful to this day that God gave me this gift to just share with the world and showed me another way out. Mm -hmm. must be so
0: weird uh, now to watch the media and the government say, well, now, you know, Go-Go's our official music and y'all are the biggest heroes in DC.
2: So we went from, okay, well, this happened at the Go-Go, that happened, somebody was shot and killed. You know, and and all this stuff will happen after the go-go. You know what I'm saying? After the go We don't have no control over what happens after they leave. (laughs) It was crazy. We was was on tour in the U.K., and I called back home, and they said that there was a shooting out uh, after a show at the Washington Coliseum, and Trouble Funk was performing. We wasn't even in the country.
1: (laughs) Why do you think you were so... It was so villainized. Like, why do you think it was so easy to pin these crimes and things on this Go-Go ban, even if you weren't even in the country? Like, what do you think was going on there?
2: I I can't be for sure, but I do know from experience, sometimes people fear what they don't understand. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And Go-Go was like a really... It was one of those movements that I mean, it was underground, but it was big, and it was spreading like a disease. You know what I'm saying? It's like we didn't have national distribution, so we created our own little label, TF Records, and, and we distribute music as far as we could take it. But somehow, this music, I found out later, like people were taking these PA cases over to in the military, like boot camp and stuff. And they were taking us stuff like the college and, you know, sharing this music and, you and, and they were spreading, you know. And like I said, it was just spreading. Um, but uh, again, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of money being made in GoGo and a lot of it wasn't being taxed. So <laughs> it's like, if we can't get our share, then we need to shut it down. Right. <laughs> One of those type of situations. And like I said, you know, it, it, unfortunately, it was. In the eighties, you had that crack epidemic going on, and I, I guess I should say uh, some of the guys, the hustlers and stuff like that, they had favorite go-go bands, and so they it became an easy target. It's like, oh, if you want to find out what songs are, he's gonna be at the go-go, you know, checking out whoever, Red right? it's Trouble Funk, Chuck Brown, you know, you can find them there, you know. So if you had a beef, and people knew that you like that, that. Trouble Funk or oh, is what's your favorite band? You know, you can catch them at this show tonight. You know what I'm saying? And blah blah blah. We know nothing about that. We was playing. We we was the first go-go band to, in Georgetown at this place called the Paragon Two. And um, we told the owner, "Say, man, listen, can't let everybody in here." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Trouble Funk has always had a certain national appeal that catered to different nationalities, you know what I'm saying? And that that was the clientele that he had. All kinds of people was in there, you know? Uh, I mean, you had people, doctors, lawyers, all kinds of important people that just wanted to go somewhere and let their head down and, and enjoy themselves, you know? Uh, but then it got really crazy, and, and, well, long story short, somebody wound up getting killed up in there. Yeah. In Georgetown? Yeah, in the place where he got shot outside, then he came in and died inside. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So, um, little things like that. But then, the most recent incident, you know, is when they actually tried to mute the music. That right there, I guess that was the final straw, right there.
1: Yeah, and I was going to ask, like, like, what do you make of the state of GoGo in D.C. today? Like, what has the response been like? Do you think uh, people respect it?
2: Oh, yeah. GoGo is stronger than ever now. It's a lot of great things getting ready to happen with GoGo. Triple Funk in particular. Because I'm going to tell you, in, in the words of Teddy Riley, it ain't over. The party ain't over. You know what I'm saying? The party ain't over. We're getting ready to drop a, a new single followed by a new album. Um, We got a new album we're working on called Trouble Funk: The Rebirth, and um, a a single that we're going to drop called Southeast Crank, which is a tribute to all the groups that came up out of Southeast. You know, great tune, great tune. It's got a great storyline, and um, it talks about the history of how we started out. You know, on the pots and pans, and we went from pots and pans to. National stardom and everything, you know, it's a really good story and a great group.
0: Big Tony, you know, before we go, remind us of the title of your book. It's Big Tony. It's called Big
2: Tony in the World of Trouble. Will you invite us to your book party? Absolutely. Yes! absolutely. I'll yes. be
1: there. <laughs> absolutely.
2: Yeah, we're gonna do something real big for that right there. You know? awesome. Yeah, and we're also working on a, a documentary, you know, a trouble phone doc, because so many go-go documentaries have been done. And I mean, personally, I still don't think that the true story has been told the way it needs to be told. So we're working on a Trouble Funk documentary to release.
0: Well, when you do, come back and talk to us about it. All right. Absolutely.
2: Looking forward to it.
0: Thank you, Tony. Okay. thank you. And before you go, here's some quick news. The D.C. Council's Housing Committee chair, Robert White, is proposing a 6.9% rent increase cap on rent-controlled apartments. And it's actually a compromise between landlords and housing advocates. Council had approved a much bigger cap earlier this year, which infuriated tenant advocates. White did manage to secure money to help the city enforce the new cap, but he still needs to get the council to pass it before its summer break. Also, the Elliott School of International Affairs at GW University received a $900,000 anonymous donation to expand the Uyghur Studies Initiative that starts next fall. The money will go towards added courses on Uyghur history and arts, expanding research, and adding an adjunct language professor. This is all at a time when Uyghur culture is under threat in China. Finally, on Tuesday, a D.C. police officer was found guilty of using illegal chokeholds in two separate incidents five days apart in 2018. And another DC officer has been arrested, this one for allegedly taking pictures of a woman in a bra and leggings without her consent while conducting a search. The officer pleaded not guilty and is currently suspended. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not? Tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and for heaven's sake, subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.
2: Chuck Brown has started off talking to the beat. All right. Yeah, I want to welcome everybody to the club, the Brown, blah, blah, blah. And they're going to a little groove and, yeah, know, while Rick holding that beat. And that was like, man, that's so cool. You're and making like, me feel man, like I'm cool. I'm
1: at a go-go show right now. Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was a great experience.